Probably some of you know me, some of you probably don't know me. That was too much. That was too much. That's okay. It works. It works. <laughs> Whatever. Thank you. All right. So I'm going to be talking today a little bit about Joseph. Um, nothing spectacular, but just some things that stood out, stood out to me about his life. Um, for those of you who don't know me, um, I've been in the general Boston area for about two years. Uh, before that, I was a student at Worcester Polytechnic Institute, which is like an hour west of here, in Worcester, Mass. A small city, which is the second largest in New England. Um, the last couple of years have been difficult for me, just personally. Um, I, I work in manufacturing, and it's an area that I know that God has led me into, um, in part because it's not something I would have chosen for myself. Um, but times of difficulty can also be uh, times of um, great growth. So I think we'll see that a lot in Joseph's life. So. Joseph is one of my personal biblical heroes. Um, Joseph and Daniel, my two favorites, two non-divine uh, favorites. Um, so, just a little bit of an outline. Most of you are probably familiar with the story of Joseph in the Bible. Um, I'm gonna. Read Genesis 37, which is the introduction. Joseph, I don't know if you want to follow along there. Um, if you have Bibles, you can follow along. I'll on the screen behind me. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. And he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. 
As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for twenty shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him down to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. You've probably heard this um, a few times before, but... Reading through it again and just uh, looking a little bit deeper into it, there are a few things that stood out to me. Um, so background on Joseph's life. Um, Joseph's father was Jacob, who is probably one of the leading figures in Israelite history. Uh, Jacob was also known as Israel. And uh, Jacob had 12 sons um, from four different women, uh, and only two of them were his wives. Um, his sons, he's, a couple of them were mentioned in the chapter, Reuben and Judah. Reuben was the firstborn, um, but he uh, was sexually promiscuous and lost the privileges as, as the firstborn. Um, Simeon and Levi, uh, sorry, Judah was going to mention here. Judah we'll get to later. Uh, Simeon and Levi um, were the next couple in, in order, and they were both... Uh, also not the best characters, um, having a reputation for actually killing people out of anger. Um, so you have this family of, of 12 boys, 10 of them, actually 11 of them were within seven years of each other. Uh, you can imagine what it was like, just family dynamics growing up. Oh, and most of them are half-siblings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the two wives that Jacob had were sisters and rivals um, and had a lot of tension during their lifetime. I'm sure that didn't help with the (laughs) dynamics. So, this is Jacob, and uh, that's Joseph's dad. Um, So you have a lot of tension. It it mentions a little bit later in Genesis that they bickered and argued a lot, the brothers, that is. Um, And Joseph was their dad's favorite. Um, So Jacob paid a lot more attention to Joseph than to any of his brothers. Um, And so in addition to all of the brokenness of their family and all of the strife and tension, um, throw that in, and they hated, they loathed uh, Joseph. So I don't know if you want to say Joseph had it made because he was his dad's favorite, or he had an awful life because everyone hated him. But you have probably both both elements in play here. Oh, and uh, Joseph's mom died when he was, doesn't give the exact age, but actually, Joseph's mom died probably around between when he was 6 and 17, probably closer to 10. So, um, Joseph, in, in this account, is his dad's favorite. His brothers are taking care of the flock. This is Joseph is too, but at this, in this one instance, his brothers uh, kind of left him back at home and then took them on a certain distance. Uh, Joseph's dad asks if he can go and check on them to see how they're doing. Um, this isn't like a, go in the backyard and see how the, if the tomatoes are right. Um, there's, 
living in the valley of the Hebron, and he asked him to go to Shechem, um, which is about 80 miles north of Hebron. So it's a, it's a good distance um, by foot or by camel, donkey, whatever, whatever mode of transportation they had. Um, and so Joseph doesn't refuse, even though he knows that he is not his brother's favorite. He's probably not going to have a favorable reception. Um, he's willing to obey his dad, um, and there's no hesitation there. Um, so, na- so then he, he agrees. He says, okay, I'll check my brothers. He goes to, have, to Shechem, and there's nobody there. At this point, he's got a decision. He didn't find his brothers. He went, did as, as his dad said. They weren't there. He could go back. He didn't have any, any leading indicators that would suggest that um, he should keep looking. There's, they're not in sight. Um, and then a man finds Joseph wandering in the fields and says, what are you looking for? Um, or who are you looking for? Um, some Jewish scholars think that was an angel, which is interesting. Um, so Joseph's got another decision. He can say, well, I'm not really looking for anything. I'm on my way now <laughs> to go right back to his dad. Um, because he's probably dreading this encounter anyway. Um, but he, he says, no, I'm looking for my brothers, um, and then can you tell me where they are? And so he continu- he's, he's, he's got integrity. He's pursuing the um, command that his father gave him, but he's also um, being obedient to his uh, commitment to his dad. He said, yes, I'm going to do this. So he goes on uh, to Dothan. His brothers find him, throw him in an empty well, and he gets sold to some Ishmaelites or Midianites. Um, so, Joseph gets sold into slavery, um, gets sold into Egypt, and ends up in the hands of an Egyptian official by the name of Potiphar. I don't know if any of you know how to do proper pronunciations because I'm probably not. Um, so Potiphar is an Egyptian official who sees, later on, beyond chapter 37, sees Joseph as somebody who's got a lot of potential um, and takes him first as a slave and then basically promotes him and puts him in charge of all of his affairs. Um, so he has, he has servants, he's got a family, he's got um, uh, probably a, a pretty wealthy estate, um, and he puts him in charge of all this. So here's a Hebrew slave. I uh, find out later that the Egyptians detest Hebrews, um, and he gets in charge of gets put in charge of this entire rich man's estate. Um, so God's God's with Joseph and showing him a lot of favor. Um, again, Joseph is favored, has a position that many Egyptians would probably desire, and don't get uh, in in this new place. Um, on the one hand, he's really, really blessed, and on the other hand, he's away from his family, even though some of them don't like him anyway, but he's away from his family, including his dad, um, and he's away from everything that's familiar to him. So at the same time, you know, he's, he's in a really bad situation, depending on your perspective here. Joseph goes to Egypt, um, and after, after a couple, uh, unspecified period of time, um, the wife of uh, Potiphar notices that he's very handsome and tries to uh, coerce him into being unfaithful. Um, Joseph has several opportunities um, to respond to her, um, and the the final the final opportunity is all of the servants are gone, uh, potentially at some Egyptian holiday, and she knows that Joseph is going to be home. And so he's, he's at home managing the affairs, doing his duties. Um, and she basically says, come sleep with me. And he's, he hightails it out of there. Um, at that point, um, Joseph had another opportunity. He could, have, he could have said, well, God's forsaken me. You know, why do I even care about living a moral life? Um, I don't know if I'll ever see my dad again. I don't know if I'll see, ever see my homeland again. Um, what's the point of following the God of Abraham? He's pro- Abraham's dead. Um, for all I know, my dad is dead. Um, everything that I know that points to, um, that supported me in my faith is gone. Um, 
and here's an opportunity that I, I have, and why don't I go for it? Um, but Joseph doesn't. He takes the high road, and he remains faithful to God, even in his time of captivity. So, of course, it, you know how it ends. Um, the, the wife is like, oh, I, I did such a wrong thing, and repents, and, and Joseph is welcomed back into the house. Uh, but instead, she um, makes up a lie about Joseph and says he was the one who was unfaithful and gets Joseph thrown in prison. And if Joseph was wondering where God was before then, he's probably uh, ha- could be having some struggles at this point. So Joseph goes uh, gets thrown into prison. Um, and during his time in prison, God shows him favor. God gives him uh, favor with the warden, and the warden sees that Joseph... Um, for whatever reason, he likes Joseph. And he promotes him from being, I don't know, tier one prisoner to uh, <laughs> something else and puts him in charge of some of the other prisoners. He actually basically says that whatever um, Joseph put his hand to, that the prison warden had no worry about. He didn't even have to bother looking into Joseph's activities because he trusted him so much. Uh, and this is somebody who's a prisoner in, in uh, the king's dungeon. So Joseph is faithful in Egypt. He's faithful in Potiphar's house. He's faithful in prison. And he's entrusted with taking care of some other prisoners. So the, the um, pharaoh of Egypt gets mad. A couple of his officials throws him in prison. Uh, the cupbearer and the uh, baker. They're assigned to Joseph. And Joseph doesn't just um, take care of their daily needs from a physical standpoint. He also watches out for their emotional health. So he notices one day that they're um, disturbed, and he inquires into to what's going on with them. Um, he finds out they had dreams um, and offers to, um, well, he asks them to tell them his dreams and then ends up giving them an interpretation of the dreams. Um, the interpretation, they each have a dream. One of them has uh, a dream of um, three baskets of bread on his head, the baker, and there's some birds packing up the baskets, eating them right off his head. The other one has a dream of, um, well, he's imagining himself squeezing some uh, grapes into a cup and then presenting the cup to the, to the pharaoh. Um, and Joseph basically says, well, what you're saying is there's... There's three of each. Uh, there are three clusters of grapes uh, for the cupbearer and then three uh, baskets of bread for the baker. You said, well, that represents three days. And in three days, uh, the baker, you're going to be hanged. <laughs> and the birds are going to pack your flesh. <laughs> and the cupbearer, you're going to actually be restored to your position. You're going to once again uh, serve Pharaoh. Um, and sure enough, in three days, what Joseph said came to pass. Oh, and Joseph put in a, a word. He said, well, when you get back to your positions, kind of put in my name as a reference, get me out of here. <laughs> um, which didn't happen either. So Joseph is stuck in prison. And he's, at this point, yeah, he's got some favor, but he's probably got more against him, stacked against him than going for him. Um, and he does not forsake God. He still honors God, um, even in his integrity and faithfulness in prison, um, and in his service to um, the people that are placed in this care. So Pharaoh, Pharaoh's turn. Pharaoh has a dream um, and is really bothered by it. Um, two dreams, actually. And he basically, he sees these um, gaunt, skinny, um, very pale and, and deathly-looking cows uh, by the Nile River. And... Um, actually, first he sees some really healthy cows by the Nile River. There's seven of them, and then he sees some gaunt cows that eat them up. Um, kind, of, kind of a disturbing dream. Um, and then he wakes up, falls asleep again, and has another dream again with with seven. So he sees seven um, um, seven heads of heads of grain, I believe it is, heads of uh, wheat um, that are thick, and then seven that are very skinny, and the skinny ones swallow up the thick ones. Um, kind of weird dreams. 
Um, but he's Pharaoh's really disturbed by them. He obviously knows there's some meaning to them. And and back uh, back in Egypt, dreams were Egypt and the whole this whole area in the Middle East. Dreams had uh, significance that we don't in the West don't necessarily um, attribute to them. So Pharaoh called all of his sorcerers and magicians and, and wise men and relayed these dreams to them. None of them could help him out. Um, and at that point, the um, cupbearer remembered Joseph and put his name into the king. Um, so fast forward a little bit. Joseph explains the king's dreams, and he gets put as the uh, second most important position in Egypt. Um, so Joseph enters Pharaoh's service at age 30. He was thrown into, uh, well, went down to Egypt at age 17. Um, Joseph was 28 when he interpreted those two dreams. And when he was 29, just because I like numbers and, and little details, um, to those two people that he interpreted the dreams for went on to bigger and better things. Well, one of them didn't. The other one went on to bigger and better things. <laughs> Joseph is stuck in prison. They forgot about him. And um, if you actually look at the timeline, um, up to this point, um, when he was growing up, his grandfather, Isaac, the son of promise, had been living his entire you know, growing up years. So he grew up um, with his dad there. And his grandfather there, and he. It was in that culture you have, um, you know, paternal family, and, and people would tend to live with their children or live with their parents, um, unlike modern day America. And so, it's actually interesting that when Joseph is stuck in prison, has no really glimmer of hope uh, for getting out because the two people that could have gotten out, the one person who could have gotten out, is gone and forgot about him. Um, his grandfather, the son of promise, dies mm-hmm. that year when he's stuck in prison with no, mm-hmm. no view of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, the next year, things changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, part of the package of entering Egyptian politics, um, he gets a wife. Pharaoh actually appoints him a wife, who's uh, the daughter of an Egyptian uh, pagan priest. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of an interesting turn, turn of events. Um, and he has two, two kids by her, um, Ephraim and Manasseh. And Ephraim um, names had a lot of meaning in, in Hebrew culture. Um, you would name someone based on either an experience that you're going through or an experience that you wanted them to have. Um, and it actually is interesting, but Ephraim... Um, Sorry, Manasseh was the first one. Manasseh, when Joseph had him, he basically said, God has made me forget about all my troubles about my father's house. Um, and then Ephraim, God has made me fruitful. Uh, interestingly enough, so the first one, yeah, God has made me forget all of my past troubles, all of the difficulties of my father's house, and all of the, um, you know, the, maybe the not the difficulties, but the, the things that he longed for um, with his homeland. It shows that Joseph it, Joseph didn't just walk through this with a clean slate, although he did. Um, he still went through difficulty, and it still affected him. Um, and he, even though he had such a testimony, it doesn't meant, didn't mean that he went through this without um, being hurt. Um, so that was Manasseh, and then Ephraim, God has made me fruitful. His focus has changed from trying to move on from the past to seeing that God's actually been blessing me. Um, and it's kind of interesting later on that God elevates Ephraim over Manasseh. And if you look at what their names mean, um, hmm. it kind of speaks something. Hmm. So, back to that timeline. Um, Joseph enters Egyptian politics at age 30, um, gets married, has two, has two sons. Um, when he, as soon as he enters um, the pharaoh's service, 
the year, seven years of plenty that, that he, um, that God told Pharaoh and the dream begins. Mm. So that's till he's 37. Um, and two years later, actually somewhere between 37 and 39, Joseph's brothers come down to buy grain in Egypt because there's a, a severe famine in the land. So, um, as God told Pharaoh, there were going to be seven years of extreme bounty and extreme blessing upon uh, the entire known world. Um, so Egypt is, is blessed with abundant um, harvest and abundant um, just physical provision. And Joseph, in his interpretation to the king, also um, suggested that the king implement a tax um, to, to tap into some of this provision and provide for the years of, of famine that were coming. Um, so seven years of provision and seven years of famine begin, and it's so bad that people don't even remember what happened before then. Um, the general people tend to have a very short-term memory. <laughs> um, if you're going through a time of hardship, you don't remember what happened before that. So if, if, if you're going through a time of extreme struggle in your life, and right before that, you're going through a time of extreme blessing, um, the tendency for a lot of us, and I'll speak for myself here, is to, to just look at the struggle and say, okay, well, God's forsaken me, and I'm not loved. Um, but not remember that the entire story that led you up to that point, and um, who he's been up to that point. So, um, seven years of famine began, and, and people forget that there was plenty before that. Um, they weren't preparing, they weren't um, preparing themselves to, for the, for what could be ahead. Um, and they went to Pharaoh and said, hey, give us some grain. Um, and so Pharaoh turned to Joseph and basically said, well, do whatever Joseph tells you. Um, so this is Joseph's third boss since he got sold into slavery. The first one was Potiphar, the second one was the prison warden, the third one is Pharaoh. Uh, in each case, they have no concern whatsoever for what Joseph is doing. Mm -hmm. uh, they have complete trust in him. And coming from the Pharaoh, that's pretty significant. <laughs> so uh, the Egyptians are suffering, so is the rest of the, the known world. Um, the famine is really bad in Canaan, back where. Joseph's family is living, and Jacob hears a rumor that there's food in Egypt. He sends his brother, his, uh, Joseph's brothers down to buy some food. He sends ten of them. He leaves uh, the youngest, Benjamin, back home. Now, if you're familiar with the account, you know what happens next with uh, Joseph's brothers. Um, and first impression would be that Joseph is trying to get back at them, which could be the case. Um, Joseph's brothers go down, try to buy grain, and Joseph treats them all harshly. Based on Joseph's experiences with everyone else up to this point, um, it's probably not how he treated anyone else who's coming to buy grain. He's probably just singled them out and uh, decided that because he recognized them and they were his brothers, he'd, he'd uh, have a little bit of fun. So Joseph's brothers come to buy grain, and Joseph um, questions them. Um, and at this point, Joseph is speaking Egyptian, or whatever language they spoke back then. <laughs> um, not Hebrew. And so his brothers answer all the questions honestly. They want to get the food. Um, and Joseph actually says, okay, well, Here's how I'll know if you're, you're lying or not, um, because he accuses he accused them of being spies. He said, well, leave, leave one of your brothers here. Go back to your other brother that you told me about, Benjamin, and bring him back here, and I'll know if you're telling the truth or not. Um, he actually sort of throws them all in prison for three days. Um, and then after three days, he says, well, I, I fear God, so go get your brother. Uh, come back, when, um, and then I'll, 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 um, I'll believe you. Um, and he keeps Simeon in prison. Um, Simeon remembers the second eldest and one of the ones who was accused of bloodshed. 
So Joseph is talking to them in, in Egyptian, and he, he hears them, overhears them talking in Hebrew, because they have no idea who he is, and that he can understand their language. Mm-hmm. And he basically overhears them saying, well, this is all, all this trouble we're experiencing, it's because of Joseph. It's because of what we did to him. Now, he's 37, 38 maybe, at this point, and he was sold into slavery at 17. So do the math, that was quite a while ago, that whole thing with Joseph. Um, kind of wonder if every time something would go wrong with the brothers, if they would automatically point it back at Joseph. So yeah. that's the reason that things are going wrong here. Um, at this point, they probably think that Joseph is dead. Their dad certainly thinks he's dead. And they initially knew that he was alive, but I don't think the life expectancy of a slave was pretty high. So at this point, they probably think that Joseph is dead, too. Um, it says in Proverbs, um, more Proverbs, that someone who is, um, has bloodshed on his hands will be a fugitive until death, but no one support him. So one of the things that Solomon says. Basically, if you have blood on your hands, um, that's guilt that you, you can't just get rid of. That's uh, guilt that will follow you to your death. Um, and that's basically what bro- Joseph's brothers had. Every time something would go wrong, they would say, that's what we did. It's coming back at us. Uh, not karma. It's actually biblical. <laughs> so... Joseph's brothers are talking about this. Joseph's overhearing it. He goes out, weeps, comes back, and basically says, okay, go on your way. Um, skipping ahead. And uh, so he keeps Simeon in prison for while they go back to their dad. Um, their dad, of course, is very sentimental about Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, and won't let him go. So they end up uh, milking out the remaining grain that they had brought um, until their dad re- consents to, to, Joe, to Benjamin coming down with them. So, Benjamin comes down. Joseph invites them all to uh, dine with him. They're worried because they think that uh, he's going to attack them or something. Um, but he doesn't. He, he dines with them and um, sends them on their way again with grain. Um, sets them up. Puts, puts all the money back in their sacks. Um, and then sticks his uh, silver cup in Benjamin's sack and then accuses them of stealing the cup um, with the intention of somehow getting access to Benjamin, his, his brother, his actual, not half-brother, his actual brother. And so at that point, um, you know, you heard the reaction when, when Jacob heard that Joseph had been killed. Um he only has one other brother, and again, probably their dad's favorite. Um, if they're concerned that their dad is going to die, die from grief if he finds out that Benjamin doesn't come, doesn't return with them. So you end up seeing something kind of interesting. Um, Judah told his father, told Jacob that he would um, bring. Benjamin back safely and when Joseph attempts to take Benjamin away from him Judah confronts him and basically says well it doesn't confront is the wrong word uh, pleads with him and says you know please don't do this because this will be the downfall of our father this will, this will bring about his death um, and he basically explains everything that happened with Joseph everything that happened up until this point to speaking to Joseph and it says please don't let this happen uh, to us now this is the same Judah that had actually suggested that Joseph get sold into slavery um, this is the same Judah that had initiated all this entire chain of events with Joseph and now he's actually stepping in between Joseph and Benjamin and saying, please, please don't do this to your brother. Um, and Joseph can't contain himself anymore. Breaks down, weeps, and cries out and says, I'm Joseph. Um, and I kind of wonder why Joseph kind of 
took so long to introduce himself to his brothers um, and why he went about the way that he did. He was basically attacking them and treating them very harshly. Um, but I think that he wanted to see if anything had changed on their end, um, to hear their side of the story and also just kind of um, prepare himself maybe to, to uh, introduce himself. At the same time, if you look at Joseph versus his brothers, they'd both gone through an experience, uh, maybe a very different experience, but they'd both gone through some sort of uh, separation um, experience. Uh, Joseph's brothers had guilt because they were the ones who initiated it. They were the ones who actually wrongfully treated their brother. Uh, Joseph, of course, was being obedient to his father when this happened, and he had no guilt. Um, Joseph's brothers had, as far as we know, they never told their dad what happened. So they had to deal with this lie and live, live this lie these 20 years. Um, and the guilt of what, as far as they know, they caused their brother's death. Um, now, initially, when they sold Joseph into slavery, and they're probably, what, seven years different, so Reuben was probably um, 19, 24. Um, they're in their 20s. They thought it was a good idea at the time. Um, over the years, as, as guilt and, and sorrow had worked in their hearts, they were... Um, a lot more repentant. Um, Joseph, on the other hand, had his own hardships, but even though he was suffering hardship, they were probably both suffering emotional hardship, but Joseph, um, none of it was attributed to sin that he had committed. Um, how many times have we experienced hardship when we've said, God, what am I doing wrong here? Um, and then if we don't see anything that we're doing wrong, we're like, God, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> so, you know, Joseph's attitude um, and his testimony in this really speaks to me because um, everything that he experienced through this, um, I, don't know, I don't know if I could do that. All right, so... Joseph came, I mentioned at the beginning, Joseph came from a very broken family. Um, his brothers were not the best friends with each other or with him. Uh, there was um, sexual promiscuity in the family. There was bloodshed in the family. Um, actually, a couple of his brothers ended up slaughtering like a whole town. Uh, Shechem, where they went to graze the flocks. Um, and with everything that went on there, multiple wives with his dad. Um, probably not the best father, not a perfect father in terms of how he treated all of his sons. You, you think if God can use somebody from that type of family, there's probably hope for all of us. Um, Joseph, when Joseph does go down to Egypt and bring his father and family down, um, Jacob actually said, well, your two sons that you had in Egypt, they're actually not yours, they're mine. If you have any more after that, they can be yours, but these two aren't mine. Um, and what he actually said is, your two sons are going to receive equal shares of the inheritance. Mm -hmm. Or to put it another way, you're going to receive a double share of the inheritance. Whatever I have, whatever I give to my children, your sons are going to receive, be treated equal. Um, in the 12 tribes of Israel, throughout Israelite history, um, Ephraim and Manasseh are treated the same as any other tribe. Um, so in that sense, it's, if, you, if you actually look at a map of the allocation of land uh, in Canaan, uh, they probably have about a third of it. Mm. Um, there's eastern and western tribes of Manasseh, so it's actually like, yeah, there's two sons, but one of them actually gets like two different shares on both sides of the Jordan River, mm. and then there's Ephraim. And so if you actually look at the, the physical land distribution, they have a huge portion. Mm. So it's like God was blessing him for all that. Now, here's the scandalous part. Um, besides all of the other um, stuff that happened in that broken family, which I'm not getting into, um, two of the tribes of Israel, the very foundation of, of is, you know, Israelite um, legitimacy, came from non-Jewish parents. Mm. Because Joseph's wife was 
daughter of a pagan priestess, mm-hmm. or priest. So, if the Ephraimites, the Manassites, their parents, or one of their parents, was actually uh, a non-Israelite. And if you look at the Mosaic Code, um, you weren't supposed to be able to approach the temple um, if you were of non-Israelite ancestry, up to, depending on um, who, which who that non-Israelite was could be up to like seven generations or more. Mm. I don't know the exact. So that's a testament of God's grace. Mm. Um, now, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, invites them all down to Egypt, and, and um, invites them to come under his covering because he has, um, as the second highest ruler in Egypt, he's got um, a good amount of protective coverage. He's protective authority. So he invites them down. He actually says, um, I've spotted out the best area in Egypt for you to occupy, and I'm going to invite you to use that, and uh, just tell Pharaoh that you're shepherds. And it's kind of an interesting note here. Everything about Joseph's family was detestable, uh, was despicable to the Egyptians. Uh, They hated Hebrews. It actually says when Joseph invited his brothers to, to eat with him. He didn't eat. His servants didn't even eat with him because they hated eating around Hebrews. Mm. Um, so those cultures didn't jive. So they hated Hebrews. They hated shepherds. Um, and Joseph, basically Joseph, by bringing his family down to Egypt, he's bringing um, something that's detestable to the Egyptians right into their land and inviting them. This is a community of 60 people not including servants and livestock and whatever else they had. He's inviting them into the midst of the Egyptians and, and, and welcoming them here. And he's actually risking his own reputation to Pharaoh. He's risking his position by uh, doing something that's probably not 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 too uh, okay in most other circumstances with Pharaoh. Um, and he's doing that for the people who hated him. So it was kind of interesting. Um <clears throat> So just a couple takeaways from Joseph's life. Um, Joseph suffered a lot of hardship during his life. And I think all of us in in some way have have gone through periods of hardship um, and probably will go through periods of hardship. And during those times, it's it's easy to question, say, where where is God? Where's the God of the Bible? Where's, Where's the God who did all these things? Um, that we see so clearly written in the scriptures. Um, if you actually look at the New Testament, um, we have this idea that God in the West, that God is supposed to protect us from hardship. Mm-hmm. That when we commit ourselves to him as a, in becoming a Christian, he's supposed to protect us from pain, protect us from suffering, or maybe accept a few persecutions in some other countries. But basically... <coughs> What you see in the scripture, if you look, if you just do a, a word search for the word protect, depending on which translation you use, it may not even come up at all. Um, but the few times where it does come up in the New Testament, it's not used in reference to pain and suffering. Um, what it says... The word protect, when it is used in the Bible, is almost always used in reference to sin. Uh, John 17, 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Um, And God's promise isn't to protect us from hardships, but to provide us a protection from sin. God didn't protect Joseph from any of the pain and suffering that he experienced. What he did protect him from is he... He protected him, protected his integrity. He protected his character. He enabled him to make choices that would honor him and that would bring him out um, in a way that he couldn't have otherwise. Um, 1 Corinthians 10.13, basically paraphrase, um, God won't bring you into any area of temptation that he won't enable you to overcome. And he'll provide you a way of escape for it. Um, so God gave... 
Joseph the grace that he needed to overcome these hardships, to overcome these difficulties. Um, Corrie ten Boom, many, do you guys know who Corrie ten Boom is? Um, she was a Dutch woman during World War II. She and her family <coughs> saved, I don't know how many, but a number of Jews um, during the Nazi occupation of Holland. And um, so she, she lived with her father, and um, she and her other sister were unmarried. Um, and they both went to concentration camps. Actually, all, all three of them went to concentration camps. Her dad died like a week after he went there. Um, she ended up living through the whole ordeal and then going on um, to speak the great ministry of forgiveness. Um, but she was talking about this, well, you know, Dad, what, what happens if things go bad? What, how do, like, and, and I'm exposed to hardship. How, how can I handle that? Like, I don't think I have the grace to handle this. And her dad basically used the analogy, you know, Corey, when I take you on the train, you want to go somewhere, and we take the train. When do I give you your ticket? And uh, she said, well, right before I get on the train. And, she, and her dad said, well, that's how God is with us. He gives you the grace when you need it, not beforehand. Mm-hmm. Not for you to stick in your back pocket. He gives it to you right when you have need of it. So... Just an encouragement for for us, uh, for anyone who's going through a difficult situation. Um, Joseph also, you can say that a lot of what happened to him happened to him by chance, but I don't really buy that. Um, some of it you could say, you could say it's all the result of fate. Uh, all the results of chance, but in reality, Joseph made a number of very conscious decisions. Mm. Um, when he was in Shechem, didn't find his brothers, he chose to keep looking for them. He chose to inquire and to look beyond what he could currently see. Um, when he was a prisoner in Egypt, um, job number one, he chose to work hard. Um, to honor his master and to work in a way that that actually profited his master. So here's a guy who got sold to slavery unjustly. He's stuck under some guy that he doesn't know, some Egyptian. He probably doesn't even know the language. He has to learn that. And he's in a position that he did not choose. He did not choose for himself. Um, And he could basically say, I could do just what I need to do to get by or I can actually give it my all. And he chose to give, give it his all. Um, got promoted because of it temporarily Um, when he was faced with the temptation of Potiphar's wife he chose not to be with her Um, and I think that was very specific in terms of location of of where he was Um, when he was when he was um, accosted by her he chose to flee um when he was a prisoner in Egypt, job number two, uh, he chose to be faithful and actually, okay, if you're a prisoner, there's not much you have to do. It's not like you're going to be fired if, you don't, if you're not working hard. But he actually chose to work and, and show himself faithful. Um, and the prison warden recognized that and promoted him again. Um, he chose, again, as a prisoner in Egypt, he chose to look out for the welfare of others. He was given two people to watch out for. He could have he could have just stuck to making sure that they got fed. I don't know if they bathed or not there, but making sure they, they got, at least got fed and you know had their daily stuff taken care of. But he actually looked out for their emotional well-being. He asked them questions. He, he, conf- he um, conferred with them, and, and they obviously trusted him that they were able to just open up the way they did. Um, so he built relationship with them. When he was a leader in Egypt, he chose to bless his brothers. He could have actually just said, okay, one of two things. He could have chose not to sell them grain, which would be very, probably the easiest mean way to be mean. Um, of course, his family would have died. He could have just given them grain and sent them on their way and never even revealed himself to them because he was like, I'm sick of you. I had enough of you. I actually moved on by now. I don't want to, I actually don't want to meet you now. Um, and uh, instead, he chose to bless them. He, he, even before he revealed himself to them, he gave them their money back. Um, certainly not something that was required, but. Um, and then later he actually provided for them. He, 
He um, told them what to say when they came to Pharaoh. He provided them land in Egypt. Um, did a lot of things that were not quote unquote required of him. Uh, and finally, he chose to forgive them. When his father died and his brothers were worried, here again, still fearful because they still have guilt. Um, his brothers were worried that Joseph was going to finally get back at them now that his father's not in the way. And they, they basically say to him, okay, well, uh, <coughs> our father told us to say that um, while he was still living that, um, you know, Joseph, you need to forgive your brothers for everything. And he made up this story, again, more lies. Um, and Joseph probably could have gotten upset at that. He's like, yeah, right, your father didn't say that. I know you never even told him what happened. Um, and he could have gotten mad at them just for suggesting such a you know hideous lie. Instead, he chose to forgive them, and he basically said, guys, don't you realize you weren't the ones who sent me here. God sent me here to prepare a way for you, to make a way for you, and to be your salvation. Those are all choices that Joseph made. And I think that the choices that he made um, made way for him to be great. Um, personally, with his relationship with God, he didn't neglect it. He, Even when he sent them away, um, actually, jumping back, when Joseph first was brought before Pharaoh to answer his dream, and Pharaoh asked him, hey, I heard you could interpret dreams. Joseph's response, I can't, God can Tell me your dream. He's, and this is the guy who's been in prison up till now, so it's not like he had, he'd been living a fine life when he answered that question. This is probably the lowest point in his life, and he'd been forgotten, humiliated, rejected. And he basically says, there's a God who can answer your dream. Shows where, where his heart was. Um, and then when he, even his response to his brothers, he's basically saying, you guys, you think you had something to do with hurting me? Mm. It had nothing to do with you. It had everything mm. to do with God. And it wasn't about hurting me. It was about saving you guys. Mm. Um, lastly, someone could say that Joseph Joseph brought his family into slavery because eventually the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. And of course, you know the story with that. Um, and you could say, well, Joseph was actually, it may look like a blessing, but in the, in the end it was actually a curse because they had all this hardship and persecution and all this stuff. kind of repeats the story all over again uh, with the Israelites being in prison for like 400 years in Egypt as slaves to the nation. Um, Egypt was the world superpower at the time. And if you look at God's uh, one perspective, one perspective on God's sovereignty in doing this was... Um, God was preparing the Israelites from from a group of 60 people to a group of a couple million mm-hmm. by the time they left Egypt. God was preparing them both physically mm-hmm. and protecting them um, in order for them to come in and conquer the promised land of Canaan. Um, this is looking forward after Joseph's death, but when Egypt was the world's superpower, uh, they were absorbing all of the impacts of wars around. Uh, if Jacob's family had stayed in Canaan, Canaan was like the crossroads of, of three different major warring groups. They probably would have been decimated by war, but instead he hid them under the nose of the world's largest superpower and protected them. Even, even if they were in slavery, he still protected them and allowed them to multiply until they were ready to take the promised land. So, can't really blame Joseph. God, God knew what he was doing. Um, so my takeaway from all this um, for if anyone's going through a time of difficulty and testing uh, God is faithful uh, he knows what he's doing mm-hmm. and uh, he never gives us more than we can handle mm-hmm. good words mm-hmm. let's close with a word of prayer there's uh, a ton that you can learn from Joseph's life. There's a ton of what he shared scripturally that you could pull away. Um, but even like he highlighted at the end, which is actually what struck me all throughout, is Joseph's heart's response in the midst of life, which for every single one of us, 
regardless of whether it's family, work-related, school-related, ministry-related, any of those things, we're constantly faced with our heart response, with how we will respond in every circumstance, relationally, with friends, with spouses, with every single circumstance of your life. You're going to have a choice of heart response. And it, what we see in Joseph's life is, um, many of you have probably heard this phrase, Lou says it uh, a lot, is willingly abstaining from that which is acceptable to gain what the, or access that which is otherwise unattainable. And really what you see in Joseph's life is what would have been acceptable would have been offense, bitterness. It would have been acceptable for him to grow angry and even almost look at all of life as he was stuck in a prison, he was enslaved, that circumstance was uh, like against him. But instead, he willingly abstained, he willingly rejected what would have been acceptable in that circumstance to gain that which is otherwise unattainable. And that's actually what you find is doors of favor and opportunity are open because of heart response. And for everyone in this place, I just want us to take a moment even to just to pray before the Lord that we would be found in every area of our life with integrity of heart, with integrity of response. In every area of your life, you can find an excuse. You can find an excuse why not to go to the distance. My husband and I are always talking about how obviously we deal with people day in and day out, is that when you want to do something, there is absolutely no excuse of you will not let anything stand in the way. It, when you want to do something, nothing will keep you from doing it. But when you don't want to do something, you can find any excuse as to why not to do it. Excuse, excuse, excuse. And I mean, I challenge myself that way. When it comes right down to me doing something or not doing something, I have to go, this is an excuse. But if it's something I really want, there is no excuse that will keep me. It's a matter of desire. And if we want the fullness of God in our lives, if we want the very highest and the very best, what we have to do is remove every excuse, every emotional barrier, every, uh, everything w that we could use as a crutch to why I can't. Joseph had a ton of them that he could have used. The circumstances were against him. But what we find is heart response and that there was integrity that where no one else saw, God saw. And before the eyes of God, he had an integrity of heart response. So, God, we come before you today and we thank you for Joseph's life, Lord, the model that it is before us. And, God, even as it would appear in the eyes of man that every odd was stacked against him and that he was somehow powerless and, and limited and could not break free. But, God, we thank you, Father, that uh, that was a man, Lord, that in the secret place of his life, he perpetually, even in the prison, he chose integrity. That he chose to go beyond, Lord, even in searching for his brothers, he could have had the excuse that they were not there. But he went the extra mile in the place of going beyond even that which was required. So God, we say, Lord, we do not want to be those, Lord, that, that even look at the word of God or look at even uh, what religion would say is required. But God, we want a heart that extravagantly obeys Lord, a heart that responds to you in extravagant love and obedience. Lord, we want a, a response before you, Father, of integrity. And God, we want to willingly abstain from what is acceptable. Lord, the norm. God, all of the things that would cripple us from excellence and diligence. And God, we ask, Father, that you would give us the grace in our hearts, Lord, to, to be those that willingly abstain, Lord, from the excuses of man. Lord, that we might gain that which is otherwise unattainable. God, we say we want to be found in excellence before you. A heart response of excellence and diligence. Your highest, your best. Lord, we want, Lord, the hundredfold in every area of our life. So, God, we ask for your grace, Lord, to lead us into the fullness that you have for us. Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, safe travels, everyone. It is a very good thing we did not cancel, even though the weather said blizzard conditions, because it's lovely out. <laughs> Relatively. <laughs> Relatively for a blizzard. <laughs> good job, man. Excellent. Oh, excellent, excellent, excellent. Do you feel comfortable? Do you feel comfortable? Yeah, I'm fine. Perfect. Mostly. He's a little faster. Do you want to do it? Do you want to do it? Do you want to do it? Do you want to do it